are back. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of Additive Snack. I'm your host, Fabian Alaphant, and I'm the senior manager of the Additive Minds consulting team at EOS North America. Now, we have some amazing guests and topics lined up for you this season. And our mission is, as always, to inspire and to educate you at every step of your additive manufacturing journey. And right out of the gate, we've got a fascinating episode and an incredible guest. Joining me today is Katie Brando, the Chief Product Officer at FitzFrames. And no company is exploring the full impact of a more than FitzFrames right now. They're a true innovator in the eyewear space, creating custom-fit 3D-printed glasses with a kid-friendly customer journey. And that journey involves a face-scanning app that automatically creates the perfect fit. It includes a unique approach to product design that combines stylistic and fully customized elements. And of course, state-of-the-art AM technology to create a truly one-of-a-kind product. Fritz Frames is really on a mission to solve a really challenging problem in the world. And that is not just getting kids to wear their glasses, but getting kids to love their glasses. As the chief product officer at Fitz, Katie helped to steer the company's journey to innovation. And today, she's here to talk about how Fitz was able to make their scan-to-print solution happen. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. We're super excited to have you on the show. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here and chatting with you. So, Katie, you're the chief product officer at FitzFrames, and you were initially responsible for the development and the revolutionary Iver products that uh, FitzFrames released. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you were drawn to FitzFrames? Yeah. So um, my background is actually pretty deep in R&D and also in product development. So I actually cut my teeth at Disney, um, at uh, Disney R&D, which is a part of the Imagineering uh, section of the company, which is basically the I mean, it was a dream job uh, coming out of college. It's basically sitting around, like, inventing stuff and um, effects and really just creating the magic for the theme parks. Um, yeah, so, awesome. yeah, it was it was uh, incredible. And so um, I spent a lot of time there, you know, learning how to think really creatively and obviously very technically as well. Um and then after I was uh, at Imagineering, I actually hopped over to consumer products at Disney, where I was uh, running an R&D group. Uh, it specifically focused on consumer products. And so our job was to, to look at um, new technologies that were coming out, new emerging technologies, as well as developing our own and figuring out how to apply that to Disney products to you know bring the Disney stories, the great Disney stories, to life in the home, and so we did things like, uh, you know, we, we did we actually developed an augmented reality headset where you can battle your friends and your favorite bad guys from Star Wars, the lightsaber, um, and yeah, and we did a big Internet of Things project as well, um, where your toys your action figures actually would come to life and would would fight you <laughs> and you could you know have stories and adventures that way um and so yeah and so um lots of uh good development there and then i actually hopped over to fits when uh an old colleague from disney actually uh was thinking about becoming the ceo and uh he actually 
he told me, he was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, but I'm only going to go if you come too. So that was a bit of a, a pressure situation, but <laughs> I decided oh, to, yeah. uh, to to follow him. Um, and yeah, it's been quite the ride since. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, that sounds like a, a, a very amazing story. So can you tell us a bit more about, about Fitz Frame? So you went from uh, reimagining the way that uh, kids uh, approach you know their their action heroes and just their heroes in general to uh, reimagining the eyewear market how did that story start with fitz frames and uh uh why are you using additive manufacturing as a core technology to create these products yeah so the the fit story really starts with the founder heidi um and so she she's a mom she has uh two daughters that have had to wear glasses from super early ages like i think two and three um, and Heidi never wore glasses herself. So she had to go through figuring out how to get glasses for these tiny little girls um, and basically just struggled for years. And she ended up getting a little bit obsessed with the problem and um, going to like eyewear conferences and trying to figure out how to get decent glasses. And for her, decent was um, well-fitting. So getting a good fit was a really big problem for these very small faces. Um, and then also a style that didn't look like goggles, a style that her daughters wanted to wear because, you know, if kids want to wear the glasses, then they will. If they don't want to wear the glasses, then they won't, which is a huge problem, especially since actually, there, yeah. yeah, and and actually um, there's there's a few, quite a few situations or eye health situations that actually can be corrected in young kids like that if they wear glasses. So wearing the glasses isn't just corrective you know in the moment letting them see but actually can give them better eye health in you know the future in their entire lives so it's really critical that kids um, that need to wear glasses do in fact wear their glasses and part of that is having a good fit and glasses that they actually want to wear um so yeah so that's kind of where where fits came uh, uh came about heidi realized that there wasn't really a good solution um part of the problem is that even though eyewear is technically a medical device, the industry operates very much like a fashion uh, part of the industry. So it's, you know, new styles every year, um, pretty pretty high price tags, especially for adults. And, and it mostly focuses on adults as well because, you know, you can make more money uh, selling super fancy, awesome glasses to adults, whereas, you know, a parent isn't going to want to spend $500 on a frame for their kids that they know their kids is going to grow out of, like, in six months or a year. Um, so anyway, basically she discovered that there was no good solution for kids' glasses and she wanted to fix that. So yeah, that's why Fitz exists. Yeah, and that's actually interesting. And um, you know, if you look at the the definition of disruptive technologies, then um, you know, they always start in an underserved market. And that's in the end what Heidi identified, right? An underserved market where uh, a new technology like additive manufacturing would be able to create a product that would be actually cheaper than all the competition and create more value uh, through customization. So how did you how did you now get from, okay, there's an underserved market. We use additive manufacturing as the manufacturing technology. How did that connection happen? Uh, yeah, that was actually... Um... That's an interesting story. I actually, when I came on, uh, when I joined the company, um, we hadn't yet figured out how to make the glasses. You know, we knew they had to be pretty customized, if not fully customized for the fit. 
Um, we knew that they had to be durable because we were going after the kids market. And so, you know, kids are tough on their stuff. And so we needed to make glasses that would stand up to that. Um, and as, as you pointed out, we also wanted to make sure that they were affordable because again, we didn't want, you know, to ask parents to be spending so much money, you know, several times a year on these glasses that really should feel, should not feel like these super precious things to kids, right? Like kids should feel comfortable wearing them and being rough on them because that's how kids, you know, live their lives. That's how they should live, live their lives. Um, so all those things combined, we were looking for a way uh, to make these frames. And I had used, it, the idea had already existed in the company, like thinking about additive, thinking about 3D printing. Um, and when I came in, I was really skeptical. I had used, I've used 3D printing throughout my entire career, starting from probably my first couple of weeks at Disney, um, but always for prototyping, uh, you know, always for, you know, creating, um, either experimenting, creating, uh, you know, kind of one-off uh, uh, products. Um, and then when I was at the, the consumer product part of the company, we used it all the time very much for quick product development. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, amazing and unbelievable and irreplaceable for that. But of all my experiences with additive, which was a, a good number of types of additive and materials and applications, et cetera, nothing I had seen felt like it was going to be suitable for an end use product, like something that would stand up for at least a few years of being on a kid's face every day. Um, and so we really, I, I dived in really and did a, a full survey of the, the industry and actually convinced myself, uh, you know, reluctantly convinced myself that actually additive was really the only way that we could do what we wanted to do, which was really highly customized product for each individual customer um, at, at a, an affordable cost. Um, but that's... I, I want to make sure the listeners know just because it was affordable for our application doesn't mean that it's affordable for every every application. Um, for us, part of the part of the thing was that it's so highly customized that um, that uh, using traditional methods of manufacturing like injection molding or um, or even subtractive uh, methods were just prohibitive. I mean, if with injection molding or some sort of casting, you know, we'd have to have a different mold or a highly modifiable mold. Uh, you know, for, for every individual. Um, and then with subtractive, it's, it's just, uh, extremely expensive to use, you know, things like CNC machines and et cetera. So, um, yeah, for this application, it, it happens to be the right solution. Awesome. And I mean, it sounds like you did a lot of research and a lot of thinking on how to even assess additive manufacturing and the, uh, the viability of additive manufacturing to your application. Do you have some guidance for uh, for other engineers out there uh, on how to assess whether additive manufacturing is the right solution or not? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, if you're in product development, I would say there's a good chance additive manufacturing is going to be helpful for you no matter what you're doing. But as far as using it for end product, um, I mean, I think the, the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles to get over uh, often for various applications is uh, finding the right material, um, finding a process because there's there's so many additive you know processes out there. Finding one that has the resolution that you need 
um, as well as a material that's going to, you know, have all the properties that you require. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's always getting better. 10 years ago, there were way fewer materials than there are now. And, you know, there's more being added every year. So that's something that's, that's changing quite quickly um, and getting better. So it's, it's definitely, you know, like, you know, when I was working with uh, additive first, what, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, there, I don't believe that there were materials that, that would have stood up, but um, to, for, for, for FITS application, but, but now there are. So materials, one thing is, you know, make sure if you can find, the first thing is finding a material that you think, or materials, multiple, that you think would work. Um, then the, the second thing that actually I, uh, I like to talk about um, and I definitely heard this from somewhere. I did not make this up, so I can't take credit for it. But um, there's basically three, three types of applications where I personally think it makes sense or might make sense to use additive. Um, the first one actually uh, is, is often uh, exemplified in, in like the aerospace industry or sometimes automotive, where your geometry, like what you are trying to make, is just so complex that it either is impossible to make it any other way using mold or, or um, casting, or it's just crazy expensive, you know, like multiple pulls, multiple rounds um, of, you know, either, you know, reduction or, or, or molding or et cetera. Um, so there's definitely engineering um, applications where being almost, you know, very close to totally uh, structurally free in, in what you can design, you know, unlimited in, in, in complexity and detail, um, uh, it, you know, everything. That's actually starting to change, I think, the way that some design engineers are thinking in, in various industries, that, that the things that they are used to being restricted by in their designs with additive, now all of a sudden isn't a restriction. You can, you know, do these crazy organic structures and it's no more expensive than doing, you know, a simple, I don't know, T-joint or something. Um, so, so that's one example is, is uh, applications where the structure that you're trying to make is just so complex that there's really no other way to do it besides additive or it's, you know, cost prohibitive prohibitive if it's not additive. Um, the second situation where I think additive really makes sense is where you're doing very small runs or very small batches of, of something, of a product or a, uh, an item. Um, and, and that starts to make sense. You know, you might be able to do it with a mold um, or casting uh, or something like that. But, you know, the cost and the engineering time to develop that mold is just so much that, you know, it doesn't make sense if you're making like 10 of these things versus with additive, there's, there's, well, assuming that your material is actually additive material, there's no, you know, there's no mold required. You can, you can make 10, no problem um, without, without that development time. So that's kind of the second scenario where your, your batch size is so small that um, doing the investment that it would take the initial investment that it would take uh, in traditional manufacturing uh, would just would just be, you know, prohibitive. Um, and then the third situation, which is actually a subset of the second one, is where your product, and this is this is our situation with fits, is if your product is so highly customized 
that your batch size is one <laughs> or close to one. Um, of course, it doesn't make sense to make a, you know, a separate mold for every part. Um, and additive gives you the freedom to have every single part different. You know, if, if it's, if there's no complexity as far as the engineering side goes, you know, creating these files for each and uh, each individual piece, the actual manufacturing of it is, you know, free as far as the, the engineering and, and difficulty goes, you know, you just upload the, the part and press print and every single one can be different. No problem. It's no different than printing a hundred that are the same. Um, and so, so that's kind of the, the third situation where the super highly customized applications, I think are really just, and we've seen it in, in besides glasses, we've seen it in other industries. Um, but it really is just great for additive. All right, Katie. So we just talked about how customization, small batch sizes, and complex geometries all contribute to the selection of additive manufacturing. And what's interesting is that within Fitz frames, you guys actually combined all of these three features into one application. You have, of course, customized glasses. You have actually quite complex geometries within those glasses. And uh, since you have uh, the customization, you do, you have a small batch size. So could you explain to us a little bit how you tackled the product design process from the beginning and uh, how you ended up at a, at a spot where every pair of glasses would essentially be different? Yeah, so that, that was actually a really interesting uh, exercise because we were basically taking a, a very traditionally manufactured product and having to tear apart the thinking and like totally reinvent the, the design process. Um, so traditional glasses actually haven't, um, and I guess, acetate glasses, which is kind of the traditional uh, plastic that the glasses are made out of. That process hasn't really changed um, since the beginning of the 20th century, actually. So it's almost 100 years, I think, um, if not more. And, and so, th yeah, so that, that's a pretty, pretty uh, standard existing process. Um, and it obviously doesn't take into account, you know, customization, making every frame um, different for every customer, at least not in a, in a cost-effective way. Um, and so we had to understand how glasses designers design glasses, of course, you know, what, what makes a pair of glasses, what's important, what does, defines a style, um, and then understand what we could change. Because uh, obviously, um, we needed to change each frame for each customer. And so um, what we learned is basically, uh, because the typical pair of traditional glasses is not designed, you know, thinking it's going to be different for every person and instead usually designed for one size, maybe two, um, but typically a single size. And so what, what happens is the designers actually, um, when we think about glasses, we think about, you know, different uh, proportions of a frame. So the nose width or, you know, the size of a keyhole um, or the AB dimension of the lens, which is the, the height and the width of, of each lens. All of those proportions uh, are actually baked into a style the way that a traditional designer thinks. It's like that's those are the levers that they pull to create a style. Um, and all those proportions are set. That's that's what makes a style. It's like, you know, this exact uh, nose bridge shape in this exact size, you know, and this exact lens shape in this exact size. That's how you define a frame. Um, 
which obviously works if uh, all the frames you're going to make are the same size. But if they're not, then you have to figure out, okay, well, what defines, what of those proportions define the style and what proportions are ones that you can modify and change to make the fit um, customized. And so uh, we had to really understand which proportions you you can't touch because, you know, it would change. It would make a frame look like a totally different style, which proportions are really important to keep, um, you know, static as far as a ratio goes uh, versus which proportions can you play around with and can you, can you change um, to make sure that every frame, you know, fits a, a five-year-old or a 30-year-old. So that was uh, really interesting, really understanding it and the existing industry and then kind of tearing it apart for our, for our own application. So you, 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 you tore the existing application and the restrictions that designers over the past 100 years kind of put themselves into apart and looked at the application from a completely different angle. And I think that's, that's actually core to almost every successful additive manufacturing process is to, and project is to you know, not, not take the, the existing boundaries as a given, but also challenge them and really reinvent the way that we approach product design. Um, I think also what's what's super interesting about your product is you're, you're combining a super innovative manufacturing technology, 3D printing. As you said, you even had to convince yourself that that's a viable manufacturing technology with now digitized processes, scan to print solutions, to get a product that's highly customizable. How did you integrate the scan to print features? How did that work? Yeah, so actually um, the scan to print or measurement is, is what we call it. Uh, it was really important for, I mean, the existence of FITS. The only reason why we were able to do what we did um, in, well, and especially at the time that we did, was because the depth cameras in uh, smartphones and specifically the iPhone were you know just coming out um and and ios had this you know great tool ar kit where all, my, all of a sudden now everyone had this pretty highly accurate uh tool in their pocket where they could measure lots of things their rooms you know uh yeah i don't know other applications um but yeah also their faces and so that was really the only reason why we were able to um do this as quickly uh, as we did was because that technology was was already had just gotten out there on the market. Um, and so we could harness that for our use. So so yeah, so we uh, developed an app where we uh, can uh, have the customer basically quickly measure their face. and it's really it's basically as simple as taking a selfie, um, slightly more complicated, but you know, you can do it in about fifteen seconds. Um, and so it's really easy. To, to measure, to, for, for us to get your measurements that we need to make you, you know, the perfect fitting glasses. Um, and so that was kind of the, the definitely serendipity of the moment, right? Like if, if that hadn't, if that technology wasn't out there, it would have been way harder for us um, to do these customized glasses from your home through a phone, obviously. Um, and then we, uh, we had to figure out how to take those measurements and obviously translate them into a three-dimensional file uh, for each customer and file for their glasses. Um, and so we developed a proprietary system where, um, once we have, you know, the finalized measurements for a customer, it actually sucks those in and automatically creates the file required for that order. So, you know, it's taking in the style that, um, 
was requested for the glasses, plus the measurements and outputting this customized three-dimensional file that we then can download and, and print um, on our printer. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, definitely some things coming together all at the right time. Another good example of an innovation that, that could only happen because we're doing this uh, scan-to-print process um, is the development of our FITS Protect frames. So this was uh, a very specific example, which I hope we never have to go through again. But when the pandemic hit last year, um, and you know it was reported all over the U.S. that uh, the medical facilities just had not enough protective equipment. You know, every everything was was gone, and they couldn't get enough protection for themselves. We, like a lot of companies and a lot of people, we wanted to help. So. Um, we actually, for a brief second, <laughs> considered making masks and then realized we know nothing about masks and it would take us forever to design a mask from scratch. Um, but then we realized after talking actually with some friends that were medical care workers that besides masks, they also needed protective eyewear because the eyes actually are a really, um, uh, they're, they're, it's possible to get infected with um, the COVID virus through your eyes as well. Um, and so they, they need protection, whereas before, you know, that was not something that, that doctors in most scenarios really had to worry about. Um, and so there's huge need for, for protective eyewear. And so we heard that and we're like, well, we know eyewear, so let's try to make some protective frames. Not something we had ever done before, but obviously we, we wanted to try um, and make a difference if we could. And so from the moment when we decided to try and make protective frames, about 11 days later, we had our protective frame on our app, on the market, ready for order and fully customization, um, which 11 days is crazy scary for anyone in product development. You know, you think, wow, there's no way that that's a good product. But uh, miraculous, miraculously, because of the scan to print process and because we could iterate so quickly, having our own printers, um, you know, using the, the exact material, the exact end use material, um, we were iterating at least twice a day over those 11 days. We had at least four of those iterations in doctors' hands during those 11 days, getting live feedback from them. You know, we were sending them uh, new pairs before we got feedback on the last pair. Um, but we, we were able to move so quickly and work with these doctors um, to fulfill the requirements, you know, the protective requirements that they had that... Uh, we were able to get this product out in in less than two weeks, and we actually had doctors ordering glasses. You know, eleven days after we decided to start this project, um, and fully customized again, fully customized to their measurements, the same way all of our frames are. Um, and so that, I mean, you know, coming from traditional product development, that's crazy town. That, that would never happen. Usual product development is, you know, at least a year, usually two years, depending on what you're working on. And so eleven days is just like crazy. And again, not something I would ever want to repeat. It was, you know, a product of the desperate times. Um, but I think it just goes to illustrate, you know, what we've built is just so different. It's such a different process, both in manufacturing as well as um, design that you know, we can do things that we wouldn't have been able to dream of a few years ago. Yeah, that's such an amazing example. I mean, it doesn't only show the the lead time reductions in R&D developments uh, through quick prototyping and testing, it also shows that you guys build not only a platform for your customers, but also an internal development platform that allows you to launch new products in such a, such a rapid speed. I love that example. 
Now let let me let me ask actually dive a little bit deeper into the uh, the glass system itself. So uh, you talked now about how you reinvented the way that you looked at uh, eyewear, and you also reinvented the way in that you look at applications for uh, these types of products. Did you also reinvent the way eyewear actually works? Did you did you change the the structural uh, designs of the glasses themselves as well? Um, with our first line of glasses, not really. For the most part, they're fairly standard styles. Um, we wanted to, you know, we, we didn't want to scare customers away with anything too crazy, especially since we were going after um, kids as as our primary uh, use cases. But because you know, we wanted to make better glasses for kids. Um, we did want to make sure that, like I said, they were durable enough for kids. And we actually wanted to improve on durability um, over, well, over existing traditional glasses. And so we, you know, after years and years of experience, uh, I think a lot of glasses wearers will, will recognize this, we identified the hinge, usually a metal hinge, um, as being one of the weak points in glasses, especially when you're a kid, right? Adults, not so much, you know, you know, to be careful with your glasses and maybe not to sit on them all the time. But, you know, glasses on kids get, you know, they fall off when you're on the jungle gym or, you know, they get smashed against your head when you get hit with a soccer ball or whatever it is, right? Like, um, they go through a lot. And so the, the hinge, the metal hinge is, was usually from what we've seen, uh, the first place to break. And so we wanted to try and improve upon that. So, we uh, we actually designed a hinge. It's a, a snap fit, uh, pretty simple mechanism, but it's it's just totally integrated in the glasses themselves. So our glasses are three parts only, like from the beginning. Well, I guess plus the two lenses, but the frames themselves are three parts only, uh, it, from manufacturing you know to the end. And so it's just the front frame, and then you can actually just snap in the temples, and it it works like a normal hinge where you can open and close them, of course. Um, but the great part is, is that because they're, they're solid pieces and there's no, and they're all actually, you know, the plastic that we use, which is a really highly durable plastic, um, stress that ends up being, uh, put on the hinge from being hit with a soccer ball or football, um, or, you know, being stepped on or dropped or whatever it is. Oftentimes, most of the time, actually, if not, actually, I'm trying to think of a situation where the actual hinge itself broke and I can't right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, the hinge itself doesn't break. What happens is pressure on it uh, creates um, just a, them to pop apart, the parts to pop apart. So your temple, the arm of your frame might pop off, but it's probably not going to break. And so you can just pick it up, pop it back in and keep playing. Um, and so that's something that we felt was really important uh, to try and improve upon the durability of glasses for these kids um, to make sure that they don't feel like they have to be precious or feel like they can't do something just because they're wearing glasses yeah i would have needed that when i was a kid i i remember i actually broke off both of my glasses hinges so i called it my monocle at some point <laughs> when i was a kid so uh yeah I, I really would have needed these uh these hinges um katie how should i as an engineer now out there that has an idea that also goes more into a scan to print um, uh, field approach this complex journey that you went through? How do I, how can I implement a scan to print product? And what advice would you give as the chief product officer of Fitz Frames, but also 
based on all of your experience of creating new innovations with Disney, what are the, 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 the top three steps that I would have to take in order to get where you are now? Well, let me start with the biggest, biggest mistake that I see uh, companies making when, when considering using additive. Um, and that is trying to use additive in the exact same way that they use traditional manufacturing processes. If, if you don't change your product design at all, uh, and you just try to plug in additive, in most cases, it's not going to be a good solution. It's going to be more expensive, or it's going to take more time, or you know whatever. It's not going to be as structurally sound, whatever it is. So that's definitely number one. Do not just try to plug in additive where you're doing other traditional manufacturing. It's a different machine. It's a different machine. It's a different animal, right? You have to think about it differently. If you were going to be designing a product for injection molding, you wouldn't just take a design from, you know, CNCing and just plug it in, right? It would be different. It would look different. You'd have to think about um, mold poles and things. So, same thing with additive. If you're designing something for additive, design it for additive. Think about what additive is good at, what it can do, and utilize that in your design. It might improve your design. It might complicate your design. Um, you might decide that additive isn't the right application, but that's still the best way to go about considering using additive is to think about it from the ground up using additive, just like you would any other uh, manufacturing process. Then, if you do decide to go forward with, with, a, with additive, um, the first thing, is, I mean, is the same as any design process. Really fully understand your problem. What are you trying to make? What are the problems you're trying to solve? Um, with with that product, what are what are the existing issues that you're trying to fix in your you know new iteration? Um, you know the, the second thing is is you know fo following uh, organically from that, what needs to change and how can you change it? You know what are the freedoms now that additive gives you maybe over traditional manufacturing? However this thing that you're designing used to be made or maybe has been made in the past. Well, how is additive different? What are the levers that you can pull now in this new process that might make the design easier or it might make the product better? You know, utilize those. Um, and then the third thing is really understanding your restrictions in the product requirements as well as the manufacturing process and additive. Additive has almost no well, I'm really making generalizations here, but it, you know, it has, it's very free as far as dimensional, uh, shapes and complexity, but print beds have limited sizes, right? Like if you're making a huge part, you may have to think about how to break it up into different parts because you can't print it all at the one at, at once because it's too big. Or, you know, you might be having to use a different material than what you could use in traditional. And so you have to think about different structural properties of that material and maybe, uh, it's different, and so you can't do it exactly the same way, but maybe if you're clever about it, you can still make it work. Um, so, so yeah, it's really understanding the requirements you have, the problems you're trying to solve, um, the levers now that you can pull with a new process, and then combining all of that to make something that is definitely going to be different <laughs> than, than before and hopefully better. Yeah, and I, I remember you you telling me a, a while ago something that I still remember, and that is that these restrictions that you just mentioned are not hindering designers and engineers to be creative. They're actually 
enabling even more creativity. And I think that's actually a really important uh, uh, part of the journey is to embrace these restrictions and trying to now use all the tools that we have gained to work around these restrictions and maybe even make them uh, new opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, the best example is one that many engineers will be familiar with, which is these um, kind of organically structured uh, stress models, right? Like there's a lot of programs out there now where, um, and this is a prime example of, of additive of being used where, you know, you can put in, you can create a model, you can uh, analyze the stresses on it. And then there's, you know, some automatic software out there that you can be like, okay, remove all of the unnecessary unstressed material in this design, right? And you come up with this thing that looks like a spider web, right? Which in the end might be lighter, it might be um, smaller, if that's a good thing, you know, it, it might have huge advantages over a traditional uh, part, but it's super complex, and you, there's no way you'd be able to make it uh, with traditional methods. So, so yeah, I mean, there's, it, it's really, it's starting to take away these design restrictions that, you know, we've all learned in various industries and having to apply a different set of restrictions because, you know, additive isn't unrestricted. There's definitely issues you need to think about, but it's a different set that you need to now apply to your design uh, process. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Really good insights. Katie, before we, uh, before we leave, one more question for you. What's next for Fitz Frames? How, what's the, the future journey look like? Oh man, that's exciting. Um, yeah. Well, so thus far, Fitz Frames is a pretty young company we really uh we really only launched um a year and a half ago you know we've had product on the market um and we really haven't changed our uh main line of product you know we have uh the six styles that we offer and we haven't really expanded upon that yet but that is what i'm really excited about we we're using additive because it was uh cheaper for a fully customized product. Um, and because it was very durable, it gave us materials we, we could use, et cetera. But we're not really utilizing this dimensional freedom I've talked about yet um, in, in as far as our, our styles go. And so I'm really excited to start utilizing those freedoms in design and really start to push what glasses can be and rethink you know, what, what styles can look like and, and what these things can, and really start to to be more creative with the design. So um, we're, we've got some big things planned. We're, we're working on it as we speak. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to continue to really change the eyewear industry. Well, I will definitely be a, a customer of these new glasses. And I'm super excited to, to continue to follow your journey of Fitzframe and also yours, uh, Katie, on uh, what you bring to the table when it comes to the revolution of the eyewear industry. Thank you so much for being on Out of Snack. It was, it was a pleasure to have you uh, on the show. Thanks oh. again for all the insights that you uh, gave the listeners uh, to, to think about and uh, really help them to enable and utilize this, this new technology. Well, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you for your uh, very insightful questions. And uh, it was lovely talking with you today. What an inspiring journey. Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing your approach to customer-centric innovation. It's so important. And if you, the listener, are looking for some takeaways from this episode, here are mine. First, use additive manufacturing to its fullest benefit, such as customized parts, complex structures, small lot sizes, in Fitzframe's case, all of these in one product. Second, understand where current manufacturing methods have their limits. 
and use these limits as your opportunity to create a product that is higher performing, has a better user experience, and potentially is even cheaper compared to an existing product out there. Three, identify the user challenge and turn this challenge into a positive experience. Four, you're now stepping into new ground and you need to be aware of that. So if a solution doesn't exist, like in Katie's case for their facial scanning software, develop it. And five, don't forget about the agility of AM and use this agility to not only create new products, but create new products rapidly. Like the Fitzframe safety glasses that were brought from idea to market within just 11 days. But I'd love to hear, what is your project? What are your questions? Please comment on your podcast app or find me on social media and we'd be happy to answer any of your questions that you have when it comes to developing innovative products. Next time on Additive Snack, we'll be talking about the most overlooked part of the additive manufacturing journey. It's a step that can add incredible value to your 3D printed products. And it's a step that many organizations don't think about until it's a bit too late. I'm talking about post-processing. And on the next episode, we'll dive into what makes it so important. I'll be joined by another great guest, Felix Ewald. Felix is the CEO and co-founder of Dimension, the global leader in additive manufacturing post-processing systems for polymer additive manufacturing technologies. And until then, thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again for the next Additive Snack. For this episode, a special thanks goes out to my co-producers, Tim Moynihan and Kristen Eisinger, to Shannon Bauch for graphic design and social media, and of course, to Katie Brendo for sharing her knowledge with us. Thank you.